Welcome to the Green Sky Social Work Podcast. My name is Green Sky and I'm a clinical social worker. This is a 10-part series on suicide, a very serious topic geared toward anyone interested in learning more about suicide. Today is part seven of a 10-part series. If you recall with the last part that discussed risk assessment of individuals with who are thinking about suicide. Um, After you do the um, risk assessment, the next step is to take whatever steps you need to take to make sure that that person doesn't commit suicide again or attempt to commit suicide. Um, And it's important in making that assessment that you use consultation with colleagues and especially um, when someone is really unclear about the meaning of, a, of someone's threat <clears throat> or unsure of what to do, um, consulting with a colleague is typically done in these cases. And you do this because you want to choose a management strategy for a suicidal person and help them make treatment decisions. And as you do these things, because of legal and ethical issues that people take on when dealing with this population, um, it's important to keep careful notes of all consultations, all um, interactions, all meetings um, pertaining um, someone who is um, um, considering taking their own life. And you do this because you want to prevent a threatened suicide by a client. So with that, you come up with, you assess the level of risk that's that's imposed by the client. And so you have to, once you assess the level of risk, you take reasonable steps to prevent suicide by a client. So you want to look at this person's ability and willingness to comply with any recommendations that you provide. So um, suicide prevention steps. Um, When... Um, you determine that the risk is very low. So suppose you do an assessment and it's determined that the risk is low, several things will happen. So individuals who have a low risk for suicide, typically talk therapy is what is implemented. So you talk over the problem with the client. You try to find out where they're suffering and work toward alleviating their sufferings. And so you want to elicit ambivalent feelings that the client may have about suicide. So part of them wants to die, part of them wants to live. And um, you want to examine if there's, if there is, or they wouldn't want to talk to you first about it. So, um, If they want to speak with you about it, then there's something inside them that sustains, that's life-sustaining, and that's the part that you focus on with the intervention. You offer lots of emotional support, and you explore alternatives for meeting the client's needs, like immediate needs. Also, it might be helpful to look and make referrals for outside help. See a psychiatrist. That's what's typically done. Um, you see a psychiatrist, maybe you need medication for depression or anxiety. Maybe you need a health, um, a health examination just to make sure everything is operating in terms of health. Um, and then the last thing you definitely want to do with when the risk is low is you obtain an agreement that if there are going to be any changes in your situation, um, if hopelessness tends to increase or 
Um, you also, in, when hopelessness increases, it can lead to more concrete suicidal thoughts. So you also want to uh, obtain some sort of agreement um, with the client um, just to make sure um, that you're making an assessment of the threat of suicide. Um, after doing an assessment, if it is determined that there is a high risk for suicide, um, definitely you take a very directive approach with the client. And uh, normally in the area of the helping professions, um, typically um, therapists are told they need to be neutral. They need to not make a stance. Um, when the threat of suicide is high, you do not want to be neutral. So what will happen is that the therapist will say, hey, I don't want you to harm yourself. You know, so you have to abandon your neutrality and say, I don't want you to harm yourself. You know, we need to take steps here. Um, you also wanted to, to develop and maintain a safety plan that the, um, that the client promises not to, to commit suicide for a special, a specific time. So a safety plan might be, okay, for the next two or three days until that person comes to see um, their counselor, we might say, here is the plan, okay? Typically, the plan is for um, that person not to be alone, um, to always have somebody um, in their presence at all time to keep an eye on them. Um, also, to remove any lethal, lethal means of suicide um, from their immediate environment. So maybe there's a gun in the house, perhaps during that time, um, a trusted person will collect all of the guns in the house you know, so that you can prevent. This is called a safety plan, a plan of safety. Also, part of that would be the counselor or therapist would say, you know what, if everything, anything gets worse, please contact me first. And um, let's make an appointment to connect with each other every single day. Okay, just to make sure that they're okay. And the last thing you do when the uh, risk seems high um, as a suicide prevention step if someone um, cannot promise, so sometimes um, a, a person just can't agree to the safety plan. They can't agree, um, uh, cannot agree that they won't, you know, um, that they won't harm themselves. You really are to notify immediate support systems about this condition and, you know, attempt to seek permission if they refuse that you can break um, confidentiality. So what normally happens is that confidentiality is broken. You know, a family or a close friend can be the source of logistical help here by keeping an eye on the person, making sure there's no weapons are around and if there are weapons to remove them. So confidentiality um, will be broken in, in during this time when suicide is um, high. Um, lastly, um, suicide prevention steps, once it's been assessed that the risk is very high, like very, very high, um, the first thing you want to do, um, okay, so when the suicide, when the risk for suicide is high, this person is socially isolated. This person will not cooperate with anyone. There's several serious um, um, previous attempts of suicide, and this person has a lethal plan of committing suicide. That is a that puts them in a very high risk. Uh, typically, in these situations, you can probably look for hospitalization. 
Um, but I would encourage voluntary commitment to a psychiatric facility. Hopefully you can incorporate, um, the family will be incorporated in that plan. Um, if a client won't enter voluntarily, um, typically there's an arrangement for involuntary hold by contacting a person um, or some sort of agency in that particular state or region to, in, to involuntarily um, commit that person to a hospital. And follow-up is definitely necessary until the crisis is stabilized and you can proceed with treatment if possible. You know, um, breaching confidentiality between a client and um, a therapist or a counselor really can damage the therapeutic relationship. And, you know, these things can arise in that sort of um, dynamic. So, you know, try to what happens in these cases is you try to repair any damage to the therapeutic relationship. But, you know, again, if if the suicide risk is very, very high, um, that sort of confidentiality is broken. So um, that concludes our series on suicide prevention. My name is Green Sky. Thank you very much for listening to the Green Sky Social Work Podcast.